to be tackling verses 3 through 5. Uh, last week, uh, by way of introduction to the book of Galatians, we looked at verses 1 and 2, and we saw the apostle, who was the author, Paul, and his ministry, and that God had called him, and uh, he was certain of his call and knew that it's what God wanted him to do. But we also saw uh, this, uh, his attention that he gave to the people that were under him, his compassion that he had for the churches, his love. And that comes through all of his letters as you learn about this man, Paul, and how he cared for others and how he tried to minister to them continually. But we see here, beginning in verse uh, number three, would you follow along? Just read these verses this evening. He says, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So first of all, this evening, I would like you to see that we uh, see this application of grace here on this few verses I'm calling Paul's declaration of the gospel. Uh, His declaration of the gospel, and we see the application of grace here first, He calls upon grace. He says, grace be unto you and peace from God, the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the order in which he has this request or almost a prayer to them, you know, basically saying to them, hey, grace be unto you. Uh, But notice the order of it, that grace comes before peace. I think that's notable this evening. In that day and age, it would have been normal to greet people with shalom. Uh, peace be unto you, basically, is what that would have been a normal greeting. Uh, when you see Brother Sasser, our missionary, uh, he's still, uh, because he's with Jewish people so much, many times he may even greet you with shalom. Uh, it just it comes out of his mouth very uh, regularly and normally and uh, with shalom. But Paul here makes a point to say, hey, grace be unto you and peace. You see, beloved Grace, God has to come before peace. The grace of God, that grace in which we get from God, we know that God's grace, of course, is God's riches at Christ's expense. We know it's the grace of God that it it comes from Him. It is His unsought for, unmerited, and unlimited favor that God gives us. God's grace. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that you can go multiple places to get. You can decide what store to pick up some oil from. There's a lot of places you can go to try and get some aid or some help. Uh, I remember when uh, Alicia hurt herself that I needed to take her to urgent care. And we went to the closest one. And here I have her arm around my shoulder and I'm bringing her in. And she's hobbling, coming in the door. We just get in the door and the people at urgent care say... "Um, we have no x-ray capability. So just so you know, if you think you need an x-ray, we're not going to be able to help. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty much, that's why we're here without an x-ray, you know. So they said, well, in order to get an x-ray, you have to go to this particular urgent care, which was 25-minute drive. So I'm like, okay. So we got back in the car. We drove all the way over there. I unload her, take her in, and we start filling out the digital paperwork on the science. I said, you know what, I'm just going to go up and talk to them because it might go a lot faster if, because there's nobody here. I'm just going to go up and ask them. So I go up and I start telling them and thinking they're going to start entering the information. And they say, well, we have no x-ray capability. 
I said, what? They said, well, normally we do. Today at three o'clock, uh, somebody came and picked up our x-ray machine to take it to another facility. And so we don't, we don't have x-ray capability. So we got back in the car and I said, we're not driving to another one until we call them. <laughs> and we could call them and make sure that they're going to be open and that we can get it. Another 20 minute drive. Uh, but we finally found it. What I'm saying, that's just the urgent cares. I mean, there's like seven of them we could have chosen from, and that's just the urgent care. There's other med center, and then, of course, multiple hospitals. Here's what I'm saying. There's only one place you can go to get grace. It's from God. That grace that comes from God that's extended into our lives, it is his outpouring of love upon us that brings peace. But can I tell you tonight, the, the presence of peace in your heart is evidence of the grace of God in your life. If you can enter life's battles and have peace in your heart still, it's evidence that God's grace is there in your life and upon your life. This peace that God gives is more than just the absence of trouble. The peace of God is, is peace in the midst of the storm. It's calmness in the midst of the storm. It's light in darkness. It is comfort in heartache. It's peace that's there even when there is trouble or problems because as Brandon said here in the song we began to sing, he says, hey, I'm learning that my joy comes from God. Well, our peace that comes from God is a peace that passeth all understanding. It's present in your life regardless of the circumstances that are going around you. I'm sure many of you have seen the artist's rendering of the bird perched on the side of a cliff in the midst of a tumultuous storm. Yet he was there comfortable and still and quiet as could be, just under the little cleft of a rock, storm raging around him, all this wind and all of this, but he's just sitting there in the storm. That's the peace that the Christian can have even in the midst of the storm. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Always by all means. The Lord himself will give you peace. That peace that quiets the conscience. That brings rest to the mind. There are many struggles that we face in life. And oh, how we need God's peace. But first, God's grace comes. We see that he says here, grace be unto you and peace from God, the Father. That is where it comes from. He says here, and from our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, we sing the songs, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. We love Jesus. And, uh, you know, praise the Lord, Jesus loves me. And we sing those songs and we love to talk about Jesus and how he is an ever-present help in time of need. We love to talk about he is the comforter that provides comfort, how he is our shepherd that leads us. We talk about how he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We love to talk about those parts of the relationship that we have with Jesus. But the Apostle Paul here points out that he's to be our Lord. Yes, he is Jesus Christ, but in front of that 
is Lord. He is our Lord and the grace of God that's been bestowed upon our life and the peace of God that's present in our life should uh, exhort us and challenge us to be sure that we are making Him our Lord. So we see the application of grace and we see the act of Christ Himself here in verse number 4. The act of Christ, He says in verse number 4, who gave Himself for our sins. First of all, I want you to know that it's a deliberate act. It was a deliberate act, beloved. He gave himself. It was a choice that he made, a conscious decision to give himself. There's been times where uh, I'll come in to the house, and it doesn't happen a lot, praise the Lord, but uh, on occasion I'll come in, and, and, and Mary will say, uh, I took the money out of your wallet and gave it to Alicia or to Andrew or whatever, to one of the kids. I did not have any choice in that. <laughs> I did not have any. <laughs> I did not get to decide to give my emergency money to my child. You know, that was just taken from my wallet and it's gone. Uh, obviously, I don't have a problem with it. But what I'm saying is there's times in life things happen. They weren't really our choice. They just happened. But hey, Jesus made a conscious decision. He gave himself. Have you made that conscious decision? Jesus gave himself. That, that beloved, it means that he gave his all. You know, it's possible for us to give some time without giving our all. It's possible for us to give some, some money without giving our all. But beloved Jesus, by example, he gave himself. He gave his all, every part of him. He sacrificed it all for you and I. And we, as God's people, should be willing to give ourselves Totally, completely. David said, thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. David's saying, hey, you don't, God, you're not really uh, looking for me to come and perform another sacrifice or to fulfill another duty or to accomplish another task in your name. No, that's not what you're after. What you're after is a broken and contrite spirit. You're after a heart that's wholly given to God. Beloved, God is less concerned about what you're putting in the plate than he is about what you're putting in your heart. God is concerned with the commitment that you have of your life towards him. He wants all of you. And Jesus Christ gave himself completely. It's very notable here, beloved, what he gave himself for. A lot of times we will give and even sacrificially for something that we really want. Something that's really going to benefit us. Something we really enjoy. Like a steak dinner, amen. <laughs> we will give a lot to get something we like. But Jesus here, look what he gave himself for. He says he gave himself for our sins. Wow. Wow. Beloved, he didn't give himself for the applause of men. He didn't give himself for, for worldwide recognition. He didn't give himself to have a few more likes on, on some social media app. 
He gave himself for our sin. I'm glad today that Jesus gave himself for my sin. The Apostle Paul declared, of whom I am chief. And you look at that, and I, I see that, and I see Paul uh, believes himself to be chief among sinners, and I think, well, I don't know where, where I must fit in. I must be way down, way down the list then if we're, you know. I know the Bible says not to compare yourself. That's not wise. And you just look at that and you say, man, uh, if Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners, uh, what am I? I, If you just study the Bible, beloved, and the more you have a relationship with God, what you'll see is that God came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. He came for the sinner, a sinner like me and a sinner like you. I'm glad that he came to save sinners. I'm glad the Bible records for us not just the great victories of David, but also his failures. So we can see that God still loves a man who is broken. That God still loves a man who is a sinner, but repents and comes back to him. I'm thankful that Jesus gave himself for my sin. So we see it was a deliberate act that he gave himself, but... Notice also it was a disproportionate act. Never was there a higher price paid for a lower valued item. It was disproportionate. See, God gave himself for wicked men. Romans 5, 7 and 8 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. I'm glad I didn't have to get all cleaned up first. That I didn't have to try and, and uh, get all of the, the filthiness that is Caleb Bottrell fixed up before I could come to Jesus. I'm glad that He loved me enough to take me just like I was, and he loved me too much to leave me that way. It was disproportionate in its value. No more higher price has ever paid for such a lower-valued item. We see thirdly here in verse number four again, he says, who gave himself for our sins. Note this next phrase, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. So it was a delivering action as well. Beloved, Jesus Christ accomplished his goal. He gave himself for our sins. Why? That he might deliver us from this present evil world. In John 17, 6, he says, I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. It is God's plan and God's desire that we be delivered from this present world. We have a present deliverance. There is no debating that we live in an evil world today. Even society at large who wouldn't even claim the name of Christ would readily admit that the world is evil today. I mean, when you're not even safe in the house of God and churches all over the country have to 
install and establish safety teams to protect random people from coming in and shooting up the church house or from driving over a crowd of people. The, the, the evilness in the world today, it's, it's, it's just mind-boggling. We live in an evil world. A morally bankrupt society. People who are more interested in what some movie star wore to the Golden Globes, and they are about the condition of the world. Somebody, I believe is Matthew Henry, I'm not positive, but he said, God is not looking for you and I to improve this broken society, but he came to deliver us from it. He came to deliver us, beloved. And you know the truth of the matter? When you're delivered from this world and you begin to take a step away and direct to proportion how far you step away from the world, the less the world's going to like you. The less the world's going to put up with it. The more that they're going to attack you. The more that they're going to say that you're, you're crazy, that you're a fanatic, that you're grasping at straws, that you've lost your mind, you've, you're no longer in touch with reality, you're so, you're, you're, you're so heavenly good, you, you aren't any earthly good, which is impossible. But they like to say it. The fact of the matter is there's a present deliverance from the power of darkness. Not, not, I know one day, and we look forward to the day when we are delivered from the presence of sin, where we'll be delivered from this world and be taken up into heaven and no longer have to deal with sin and the flesh and the devil. That'll all be done, praise the Lord. But between now and then, beloved, there is a present deliverance from the power of darkness, from the power of sin that can have in your life. Colossians 1, verse number 13, he says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, how I long for the young Christian to know that power of deliverance. For the young believer to understand that they've been delivered from that sin which has held them in bondage. That sin which has taken them down a, a, a path of life that leads to destruction. That leads to a destroyed life. They, they, they've been pursuing that for so long. But even though they've come to Christ, they have to realize and by faith believe and start to pursue Christ. And take advantage of the deliverance that's there for them. It's available to any and to all of us. He came to deliver us, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. There's two aspects of this deliverance. We understand the idea of separating from the world. And the further we separate from the world, the more the world's going to hate us. But beloved, the other aspect and probably really the more important aspect is there's a separating unto Jesus. And I think sometimes people that want and desire to do right strive to take steps of separation from the world and, 
And these are good things, but their goal and their motivation is to try and be righteous in and of themselves. They're trying to establish their righteousness outside of God, outside of Jesus Christ, which is what the Pharisees did in the Old Testament. Yes, there's a separation from the world. There's no denying that in the scriptures, but we cannot go without the separation unto Jesus Christ. It is the love of Christ that constrains us. When we love Christ like we should, there will be a natural separation from the world that will take place. But when we try and separate from the world without pursuing Christ, there's a conflict in your soul. And it's very hard. And you don't have the joy of the Lord. And, and, and too many Christians are miserable because they're striving for holiness outside of God. That relationship with Him who came to deliver us should be the first pursuit. The other things will come as a result of pursuing Him. James chapter 1, verse number 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. There's no question we're supposed to keep ourselves unspotted. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is, should be a pursuit of Christ that produces a transformation in the heart instead of us striving to bring about that change on our own. That's what he's saying. It was a delivering action. Not only that, it was a divinely planned action. You see, God planned it. We see the last part of this verse. He says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. It was divinely planned. You guys know from the foundation of the world, it was God's plan to send his son. It was, he designed and planned for him to send his son that we might deliver, be delivered from this sin. God the Father sent His Son to earth knowing full well what was going to happen to Him. Knowing that the world was going to reject Him. That they were going to hang Him on a cross. And the time would come when He'd have to turn His back on His own Son. We often ponder and think about the pain that Jesus went through on the cross. But as a father, I wonder about God the Father who had to turn her back on His Son. And watch his son go through all of that and not do anything. And Jesus went through it all, but the father went through it too. I remember how I felt when my son Andrew was bit by a dog. Such a small thing, but I, I, I remember just how angry inside I was and how this, this dumb dog and how, you know, all the way to get him checked out, I was saying, man, how I couldn't protect my son. 
I should have, I mean, in my mind, I'm evaluating how I could have done something different to keep that dog from biting him and, and you know, what could have we done and whatever. I mean, and I just think about watching somebody hurt him and just turning my back to him. You see, it was divinely planned action. God knew it was going to happen, but he sent his son to the earth to die for you and I so that we could be freed from the power of this wicked world. That's why, beloved, that God says in James 4, 4, the adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Because he sent his son and watched his son go through all that so that you and I could be delivered from the world. He says, I sent my son. He saved your soul so that you could be delivered from that. And yet you're going back to it. Yet you're embracing it. Yet you're having a relationship with that. You're pursuing the world instead of pursuing God. He says to them, hey, remember this. Remember the accomplishment of the cross. And lastly, this evening, I want you to see the acclamation of glory. He says in verse number five, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Acclamation means praise. Heartfelt gratitude. To sing and to say glory. You know, I'm thankful tonight for all that my father has taught me. There's many things that I know and can do because my dad spent time uh, working me to death. Uh, Working me a lot. I didn't appreciate it at all as a kid, but I sure appreciate it now. My wife says all the time, she's like, man, you save us so much money. I said, hallelujah, that way I can spend it on tools. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, my dad many times especially as we got older and we would pause and thank dad, you know, when we have family Christmas and stuff and we'll sit down and we'll say, dad, thank you so much. Many times dad will stop and he'll say, boys, the person you should be thankful is her. He said, I was working, I was serving the Lord. Many times I was out. The person that raised you guys is sitting right there. And many times because dad's the one that's speaking and, you know, he gets engaged in in preaching. And so people will get up and they'll say things like, well, Pastor Bottrell raised six kids for God. And we thank the Lord. He's got 26 children, grandchildren right now that are uh, saved and and doing what's right. And, 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 you know, this and this and this. And dad gets up and the first thing he did is says, listen, that's all because of her. Uh, And... I wonder how many times the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention because we're shooting praise at somebody or towards something. And he's just trying to get your attention and saying, hey, the one you should be praising is him. The one you should be praising is him because we know that it comes from him. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. By him, 
Is your praise being directed in the right direction? As I thought about this, I thought about how works salvation misdirects praise. If I earned my own way to heaven, I mean, why wouldn't I be proud? Why wouldn't I praise that? I mean, if I did it. Works and those that would strive to earn their salvation, it, it, it takes away that honor and glory that God should be getting because he did it, not us. There's a need for you and I, beloved, to be praising God. God is not glorified by our silence, by our fears or our doubts. He's glorified by our praise. Did you praise him today? Did you praise him for breath, for strength, for another day to live, for the knowledge of salvation, for the forgiveness of sin, for the presence of the Holy Spirit, for his gift of grace in your life? For that peace that passeth understanding, have we praised him? Beloved, the scripture demands of us that we praise him. The Savior deserves our praise, and Satan despises it. That should be enough reason for us to be continually given to praise. It's because of God's grace that I have peace in my heart. It's because of God's grace that I have been delivered from this present evil world. It's for that cause that I should be praising him. Beloved, it is by the grace of God that I am what I am. There's a whole lot of things that you guys don't know about me. You say, even after 10 years, Pastor, of you talking so much, still some stuff we don't know. Yeah, I just keep telling you the same stories over and over again. <laughs> you see, growing up, I mean, you guys know I had some teen years where I was really struggling. And I can tell you that, but for the grace of God, where I would be today, I look at and consider some of the young men that I grew up with and the lives that they're living now. Some of them in prison. Some of them living in neighborhoods that are so bad they're afraid to leave their house at night. I mean, I could describe for you the destruction of sin that has just raked over the lives of some of these young men that had all the aspirations and dreams that I had as a kid and all the possibilities that I had. But one chose to try and follow God and the others chose to try and follow the world. And as I stand back and look now, approaching 50 years old, 
I can tell you that God has been so much better to me than I deserve. And that my heart can be overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And I'm not talking about monetarily. Monetary things have never been a priority in my life. God's always given me the ability to earn money, and if I needed money, I could go make some. I always looked at it as easy come, easy go. It's just money. It's just money. The things of life that are truly important, the things we really, really value, I sit in awe at how good God's been to me because I don't deserve it. Not even remotely. But because of God's grace. This was the message. Paul's declaration of the gospel, the change that it can bring, and the praise that it should bring to our lives.